Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, a chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 40. Our special guest is Janelle Robinson. Welcome, Janelle Robinson, to Broadway's Backbone. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited that you're here. So uh, your major Broadway credits are Showboat, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. Mary Poppins, and the First National of Thirdly Modern Millie. Yes, and Showboat. And Showboat. Oh, excellent. Well, tell me about yourself. Where did you get started, and where are you from? I am originally from Jamaica, West Indies. Uh, Yeah, I was born there and lived there until I was six. My dad's Jamaican. My mom's American. And so we moved up uh, when I was younger, and um, I was always interested in singing. Like as long as I can remember, I loved to sing, and I was in the choirs growing up and everything. And I was doing shows in middle school and high school and community theater and all that kind of stuff. And I did summer stock actually in high school um, with a couple people that actually went on Robert Sean Leonard. Oh yeah. And John LaRock who used to work here. Yeah. They all did, um, uh, summer stock with me in an area. I grew up in North Jersey in a town called Hillsdale, New Jersey. And, um, so I was just like enamored with music theater that, that it became my life. Um, in fact, my mom, when I was younger, um, would drive me to all these theaters. I think she saw that was like my outlet. Right. Um, I was interested in sports growing up, but I was really interested in singing and dancing and being on stage. Um, and my mom saw something. In fact, I remember in high, no, junior high, uh, seventh grade, we were doing Sound of Music. And um, I wanted Maria. And I was like, why didn't I get Maria? They, they cast it and they made me Mother Abbas. And I was like, I don't want Mother Abbas. That's an old lady's role. I want Maria. And I remember I like threw a tantrum. Like I got so mad at my mom because she was like the assistant director. Oh. And I got mad at her. And she was like, Janelle, there's nobody else in the school that can sing Climb Every Mountain. And she was right, right. at the time. But I was so angry. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want it. And I, I did. I, I threw a fit. And then, of course, like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Right. Um, and I took voice lessons in high school and then um, was doing summer stock. Like, when I auditioned for college, I had done, like, about 40 shows already. Wow. Over the time. Yeah. yeah over my high school years and just doing, like, it was my life. It became my life. And um, my mom was great. She was really wonderful and supportive. She drove me like an hour each way to rehearsal for shows in Central Jersey and stuff. I was doing, yeah. So um, it was cool. It was very cool. And then I went to college for it. And where'd you go to school? I went to the Hart School for undergrad. And is that where you teach? I now teach there. Yes. Oh wow! It's kind of weird. That is a great full circle. Yeah. Yeah, at the time, Hart didn't really have a great music theater program. And so, actually, while I was there, I a lot of people that had gone there for music theater were transferring out. They were going to Boco and all these other places. Um, but I had also, my high school voice teacher had trained me. My foundation was classical. 
and Hart at the time had a great opera program. Okay. And all the teachers there said, you know, your voice is really hedging towards opera. You could have a fantastic operatic career if you wanted. And I didn't want to transfer schools. I loved the school. I loved the programs, the teachers and everything. And so I actually changed majors and I graduated Hart with a, mas- a bachelor's in uh, opera, actually. Wow, that's yep. impressive. Yeah, and then I started, I was like, okay, I'm going to do the opera thing. So then I auditioned for Juilliard for grad school, and I got in. And then I was going to, I started doing all these operatic um, competitions, and I was kind of being groomed for the Met Young Artist program. And I auditioned for the Juilliard Opera Center, and I got waitlisted. And I wasn't going to find out until August before the next school year, and I didn't want to wait that long. And one of the guys at Juilliard had gone down to the Curtis Institute of Music in Philly and auditioned. And he said, don't wait. Go down to Curtis. Audition there. <laughs> so I did and got in. And it was like, it was kind of this whirlwind thing because I was, I was not very cognizant or I didn't realize the prestigious um, names that both, well, I knew Juilliard, but Curtis is like the top classical school in the country, if oh. not the world. Yeah. In my graduate class, they accepted, there were eight students in our graduate class at Curtis. And the year that I went, they were only accepting like four people. Um, So I got into Curtis and I studied there for two years. I got my master's of music in opera and I started my operatic career. And then I um, met my husband, soon to be husband. And then I got pregnant like right away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my career got put on hold and that's something that happens to women a lot and a lot never the men yes yes you know? i know it's weird because like oh my wife's pregnant but i'm still working but i'm still yes <laughs> it's i mean it's something that i think women have to deal with too because not only do they have to get their career on hold then their body goes through changes and it's you know what i mean i don't know how that i hear talk dancers talk about it but how does pregnancy affect your voice and everything like that it Definitely affects your voice. Um, my voice particularly got a lot richer, heavier, deeper. I think like my range actually dropped a little. Like I lost some of my top notes when I was pregnant. But oh, wow. I was also, I was finishing my grad program. So I actually did an opera, um, Popea, seven months pregnant. I was on stage singing and everything. And yeah, it's it's a lot more difficult. Um, I was just talking to Audra McDonald. I went to see Shuffle Along and we were talking afterwards. And we were talking about how like you're always having to go to the bathroom and how it affects your <laughs> bladder. And it does. It like totally changes your experience on stage because like your focus is suddenly now here on your bladder not necessarily on what's going on and you're like okay we got to speed this up we got to <laughs> hustle a little like audra told me she was like okay this bow's got to be short and quick here we go everybody because i gotta go <laughs> you know um but yeah it does as a female it's hard um in in poppins we had several women over the course of the run who got pregnant during the run and they would stay as long as they could and still be believable on stage but it was really funny because, you know, you'd see how the costumes were adjusted and they'd be like these nannies that were like six months pregnant. And like <laughs> just it was so obvious to us on stage, but not necessarily to the audience. Right. You know? Yeah. 
So yeah, pregnancy took, uh, had me make a shift in my life and my career. But as a result, I ended up back in music theater because while I was not um, singing and while I was uh, raising my daughter, I was in the Hartford area in Connecticut because my actually my husband at the time uh, worked at the University of Hartford at the Hart School, but not when I was there. Oh. We didn't know each other. He, he arrived after I, I left. But so I ended up back there and I auditioned for this piece that was happening in Hartford called Mark Twain the Musical. It was this huge spectacle thing. It didn't go very well. It was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a failure big time. Um, but as a result, I met a guy, I met Jack Waddell, who's from New York. He had been in Big River and he came to me and he said, they're having an open call for ragtime. This was the original ragtime. Oh. He's like, you have to go. And so I went down to the open call and I auditioned and they called me back and then they offered me a contract for the original ragtime to uh, play an uh, ensemble understudy Sarah's friend. Great. Which would have been great yeah. because, yeah, and Audra and I, Audra and I went to Juilliard together and I was like, oh, we'll get to work together. But I had to turn it down. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. You turned down ragtime. I turned down my first, like, professional Broadway gig, actually. Which is my or, favorite show of all time. Oh, I know. That original cast. Oh. It's stunning. Stunning. I turned it down. Wow. Because I would have had to move to Toronto in, like, two weeks. It was right before the school year was starting. And I had already um, agreed to do a, a tour in Japan. It was a three-week tour in Japan. I was singing with an orchestra throughout Japan. And this was before cell phones. This was before the internet, actually. Oh, yes. And I couldn't contact the guy because he was already there. And I just didn't want to leave him high and dry. Yeah. So I turned down ragtime. Which is crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. But yeah. it leads you to your path that you're supposed to be on. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Live and, um, and the casting people, Mark Simon, Arnold Manjoli, uh, really liked me. So they called me back in for a couple other projects and then Showboat. Um, they called me in and uh, I went in and got the gig. And I was like, I literally auditioned and they offered me the gig and said, I was a replacement, and they said, do you want to watch the show that day, that evening? Oh, my God. Yeah, so I called my husband. I was like, um, I got it, and they want me to watch the show. Is that okay if I stay? And my daughter was home, and <laughs> she was two, two at the time. Yeah, so I stayed, and I watched the show, and then like a week and a half later, I was in the show. So you made your Broadway debut, got your equity card, and everything in a huge hit. Yes, isn't and that, that was crazy? a beautiful, huge show. It was gorgeous. I loved that show. I loved the cast, the show. I mean, it was... Before that, I can't even think of another show that was of that size, that yes. spectacle. I mean, you have Phantom and Cats and Les Mis and all of that that had happened. But there were, I think it was like about 67 people in that cast. It was huge. Well, and that was the Gershwin? Yeah. So yeah. both you two, your big shows, Oklahoma and Showboat, were at the Gershwin. Gershwin with Hal Prince and yep. Susan Stroman. Yep. And how was that experience working with two legends? Phenomenal, phenomenal. I love Susan Stroman as a choreographer. The reason why I like her is because I'm not a dancer. Dancer. I'm a singer who moves really well, 
And I feel that what Stroh does is she sees the picture, she sees what she has to work with, and then she makes everybody look fantastic. Yes. So if you can do this and only this, this is what she'll, she'll create that for you. As opposed to, this is my choreography, you either do it or you don't, and you're not in the show. You know? Oh, yes. And that's what I love about her because I was like, even though I wasn't dancing and I wasn't kicking my heels up to the sky and doing all the stuff like the Kit Kat girls did, um, or, you know, like the dancer tracks in the show, I still felt like I looked good doing what I was doing. Right, That cakewalk and, you know, can't (laughs) help loving that man, that scene was fantastic. And um, so I really appreciated working with her. I really felt good about my work with Stroh. Um, and Hal Prince, I actually, I didn't work much with him when I went in, but when the tour happened, um, they were looking for, Greta was going to London to open the London production, and so they were looking to replace Queenie. And so I had to audition for him at his office in Rockefeller Center. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that, I mean, talk about daunting. I, yes. I was like, <laughs> I'm going into Hal Prince's office. To He's like going to be right there sitting like, <laughs> it was crazy, but fantastic. Yes. It was like a once in a lifetime experience, oh, you know? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I went in and I auditioned because um, I understudied Queenie on Broadway and then understudied her on the tour for the first year. And then at the end of the first year, when Gretha left, I took over the role of Queenie. Oh yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was magical. It was an incredible experience. And Garth Drabinsky, despite his shortcomings or whatever misdeeds, he really treated his cast well. He was a wonderful producer to work for because we felt like we were being treated as we were worth. You know, yes. like like human beings, yes. like people that actually were appreciated, you know? Um, and, I mean, unfortunately, it didn't end well because of, of what happened. But and that's money. That's not people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And because it, even yeah. people who did Fosse, they're just, everyone talks about him respecting the artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And treating us really well. It wasn't like, well, you're doing this because you love to do this. Yeah. And, you know, you should just be happy that you're getting paid. No. Yes, no, it's very true. Where people are like, oh, can, can you come to this event we're doing on Friday night? Because just take our show off, right? It's your hobby, right? Right, right. But this isn't a hobby. No, this is my job. <laughs> it's just like you go to work every day. Yeah, this is me. This is mine. Just yeah. the hours are different. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, no, that's so great. With yeah. the show, these classic shows like Oklahoma and Showboat, uh, I mean, these are two of the oldest musicals yeah it is do you feel that there's some type of nostalgia do you feel that this is groundbreaking material at the time or do you feel like oh this is just an old-fashioned musical no absolutely i think both of those because of the artistic uh director and you know the choreographer and whatnot i think that um both hal prince and and susan stroman and then trevor nunn and susan stroman Mm. created a brand new version of the show you know they they appreciated the the they wanted to keep the integrity of the piece and the classicness of the piece but i feel like they 
they found new a new way to tell the story. Right. You know, and especially in Oklahoma, the revival where they had the ballet, it wasn't a different Lori. You know, it was the same yes. Lori doing the ballet. That was a huge, huge change yes. from what, what people had done before. And I thought it was magical. And um, Oklahoma for me was so much fun because... It wasn't, I didn't feel like we were doing an old school musical, like a, you know, even though it was a classic, so much of it came out of the reality of the relationships. It wasn't about standing there and singing and sounding pretty. You know, it was about, like, they did so much work creating bonds in the ensemble and in the prince with the principals and everything. So it was a really, it was a real community of people that you were watching on stage. It wasn't just about, oh, here comes, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, and now here comes Oklahoma and, you know. Um, and so I feel that doing both of those shows, it was such a, a gift to me because, because of the my voice type, um, you know, I was able to participate in, in these classic shows, but bring a new life to them, bring a new story, like the relationships and the storytelling it was very, very different than like the standard stuff or what you see when you go to a high school or something like right. that. Production. Well, I think that's what the best part about being the ensemble is when you get to develop a community and develop characters and, and you're given that type of freedom because then all of a sudden like you're not a, you're not a background, you're a, you become a backdrop of something bigger. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think a lot of people realize you can do that. Right. Or they're not, they're not told that they're allowed to right. make choices. <laughs> right, right. No, it's true. Even in um, Mary Poppins, you know, we did a lot of work um, in creating the community. Like, we, we had all of these um, exercises where we would just do a lot of improv, especially, like, for SuperCal, because it's such a fantastical world yes. and it's so different and trying to figure out what those letters mean or how we communicate without words initially. And um, so we did a lot of work finding uh, who each individual ensemble person was in each scene. Like in Jolly Holiday, what, like which nanny liked who in the park? Like, was there someone you oh, liked, disliked? That's great. You yeah. know, how everybody felt about Bert and Mary. Not everybody just automatically loves them. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's really, I love that kind of work where the ensemble is given the opportunity to really find a relationship to every single person on that stage. So it's not just, oh, I now move to eight. Oh, and I stay there for like three beats and then I got to move to 12. It's like, oh, who are you interacting with when you go to eight? And how do you feel about those people? And that's what then allows the audience to like really see the full story of the world they're watching on stage as opposed to just oh yeah no those people they're just background people oh exactly yeah so with mary poppins you were there from the whole you did the whole run the whole run so how much of that creative process making those choices of like who you talk to on eight was guided by the director and choreographer and how much of it was by smart actors um i'd say half and half like the the creative team was really great in letting us explore. In fact, uh, Matthew Bourne in Jolly Holiday, especially like the statues, he, he like took a day of rehearsal and just let them play 
and find things, mm. find ways that they wanted to, like their poses or the way that they partnered in that whole scene. He gave them the opportunity to, to explore that. And for Super Cal, we had so many versions of the beginning, the, the entrance of that scene oh. into Super Cal. In, New, in the London version, there was an entire scene before that where they walk into like a village. It's almost like Beauty and the Beast village, you know, where there are all these different shops and everything. And then it went into Mrs. Corey's shop. And they didn't want to do that. They were cutting that here for time, time's sake. And um, so they were trying to figure out how could they make this magical shop suddenly appear in the middle of the park where they were. And they had all these versions. Like we were first going to be like the three witches you know, like the Shakespeare witches <laughs> yeah. coming in. And we had these silk shawls over, like, drapes, and then they were going to be pulled off us. But then they realized, like, the fishing line would get stuck under a, 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 um, a scrim or something, and we'd get stuck on stage. Like, we went through probably about five different versions of the beginning of Super Cow for, <laughs> before we finally got to the version that they, that they kept for the show. Which is also, that's also interesting because, yeah. you know, you're getting a new script in the morning, like during rehearsal and you have a preview that night and sometimes the new stuff goes in that night, sometimes it doesn't. And so it's up to you as an actor to make that adjustment, you know, that's your job. And sometimes it's really hard. Like we were very lucky. I know shows where they change whole songs. Oh, right. You know, yeah. they'll change entire songs going into in previews and they'll have to be learning a new song that's going in that night for the show. And the audience doesn't know. Audience has no idea. Yeah. And that's what's always amazing to yeah. me. People are like, Oh, you were so good. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean obviously. Oh yeah, you but you're like I was memorizing lines in the wings. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So and with the show like Mary Poppins, because uh, it's a classic, but it's a classic movie, and people love these characters. Yeah. And the musical is quite different off of the books. How much of a frustration was that when people were like, where's this number? Why isn't this happening? Why'd you change that? Well, it's funny because um, several of us in the cast, as we were reading through the script, like the first read-through, and then going into rehearsals and stuff, you know, one of my favorite numbers is I love to laugh. Yes. I mean, it's classic. It's so good. It's so amazing. But you're thinking, how would they do that? Yeah. You know, that would really require a lot of magic. And I'm not sure if... Um, I, I have a feeling the reason why that was not included is because um, Cameron McIntosh had gone to P.L. Travers long, long, long time ago, like over 20 years ago, um, and first approached her about the show and she did not want a musical to be written because she actually did not like the um, Disney movie. Right. Um, she didn't like all the songs and she thought that it was too much about Mary and she also thought that it was very fluffy and light and if you read the books it's actually kind of dark. Yes. You know and Mary is quite strict and she's not this light um, you know Disneyfied uh, character and so Cameron McIntosh had to like promise P.L. Travers that the story would be about the family because that's that's the important story that's being told is in fact more specifically Mr. Banks's story right you know throughout and so um, 
uh, it took a long time to for him to get a show together that would be acceptable to her as far as what songs we did, the storytelling, the scene work and everything. And so I'm sure that was one of the reasons why um, pieces like I Love to Laugh were not included because it really wasn't important no, to the right. storytelling. You know, it was a great scene. I love it. Oh, it's one of absolutely. my favorites. Yeah. But um, it was not important as far as what was happening in the story. Um, but, yeah, there were a lot of people afterwards, you know, we would have talkbacks and stuff, and they'd say, oh, it's so different from the show, um, the, the movie. And um, also, it's um, they would talk about, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, like in Jolly Holiday, the classical dress, like right. Mary wears yes. here, it was totally different, you know. And we would have little girls in the audience dressed up in the classic oh. white dress with the red sash and everything. Um, but, you know, you have costume designers who don't necessarily... You, whenever you create a show, you don't want to copy. Right. You know, you want to come up... Like Bob Crowley's designs were Bob Crowley's designs. And he actually won won the Tony for, for uh, the designs. Um, and so, it yeah, it's hard because... You you feel for people when they say, oh, yeah, it wasn't like that. But then you think, but what we brought you is a new exactly. story to think about and listen. And if you, you're actually really paying attention, you're hopefully going to leave enlightened and feeling even more emotional because of the storyline and, and what you're seeing happening with Mr. Banks over the course of the story, you know? Yeah, I think it's great. Because yeah. right now, I mean, currently you and I are in a production of Mary Poppins yeah. up at North Shore Music Theater. Mm -hmm. Today is our, sadly, our closing day. I know. Um, and so I, I, to preface this, being an original cast member, I, I love that. So the question's twofold. One is, uh, how is it doing a show regionally that you did on Broadway? Mm -hmm. And um, two, how is it having that expectation that other people put on you because oftentimes I've worked and you were, did not this, do this at all so I'll preface that when yeah. people would be like well on Broadway we didn't oh, like this and um, I've done I do sp uh, spam a lot regionally a lot yeah. and so sometimes people have an expectation when you walk in they're going to be like oh he's the original cast diva which isn't the case right so what's your experience uh, as doing this show regionally after you created it um, I think that what I like about doing it regionally is I like seeing what other um, ideas come up. Um, I, I did the show for six and a half years. Is that um, how long it ran? Six and a half wow, years. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. I was there from beginning to end. I mean, I had a couple moments where um, I had medical leaves or whatever, um, or vacation days, you know. But um, uh, I really... I like going to regional houses and doing the shows because I like seeing what we're going to do differently. Like particularly, okay, the summer after we closed, I ended up going up to Main State to do it, okay? Um, Super Cal became a tap number. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this because it was intense tap with like paddles with the letters on it and all this like arm work and everything. And when you've done the letters for six and a half years, yeah. 
it's really difficult to make that shift in your head. And I think that was actually the hardest part for me because I did Miss Andrews and, and Miss Corey there as well. And it like, I swear to God, every night after rehearsal was over, I would stay and I'd just be like tapping and doing my arms so I could retrain my brain to not think, oh, you just go into the letters right. now. Because it was a completely different number. It was so different. Um, and then it was, it was, it's been two years now since I've done it. And coming here, having it in the round, oh. that's a whole different ball game. It's such a different monster that you're having to work with, you know, and make adjustments. And but it had been long enough. I was actually really looking forward to doing it again because it's been long enough now since I've done it. Um, and but doing it in the round, yeah, that that in itself is is difficult, I would say. But I love. I I have no. I mean. Obviously, you're always going to be thinking, oh, yeah, I remember when we did this on Broadway now, or like in Step in Time, because when I did it on Broadway, I was Mrs. Corey and understudied Miss Andrews and Bird Woman Brill. Oh, okay. But I was also in the ensemble. So I was in um, uh, Step in Time. And so I, when I'm backstage now and you guys are doing Step in Time, when it gets to certain p parts, I'm like, do I still remember this choreography? And I can. Oh, I can that's still, awesome. Yeah. yeah, like there was this little moment where it was the character step, you know, character step in time moment. And I'll, I I can do it still, which is amazing to me. But I love doing regional um, performances of it because, A, we're reaching people that we may not have in New York. You know, yes. not everybody can afford to go to New York. And you're able to bring it out to these communities out here and... Oh my gosh, like the people that we've had in this audience, oh, the, some of the people you're like, amazing. it breaks your heart. It's like unbelievable, the the kids, but also like, you know, there's a lot of um, people in the community, the disabled community yes. that have been able to come to the show that wouldn't have been able to see it in New York necessarily or for financial purposes. And they go crazy reasons. for it. They, oh. And they believe, everyone believes here. Yep. Yep, they yep. feel like they're really seeing the characters. Exactly, and um, so I really enjoy going to regional houses and doing it. I know some people probably are like, "No, don't want to do that," but I love it. I and it also lets me play again with the characters yeah. that I haven't like done in a while. I find new things, and you're working with different um, performers. So you're always finding new things, oh, you yeah. know, like you do Bert differently than Gavin or any of the other guys we had. And we find our little moments. Yes, in it's Super fun. Cow. And that's yeah. what's great about regional theater. You can take risks and yeah. do things different every night, little changes exactly. without getting in trouble. Right. On Broadway, right. if you don't say it exactly the same way every single night, yeah. you'll get a note. Yeah. And yeah. here you could be like, I want to try a joke and it doesn't land. Right. And, you're and like, they're okay. okay. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, Joe, go back to the other way. Right. You can't, you're not allowed to take those risks. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So I do enjoy it. And I don't, I know that there are a lot of people that are like, well, when we did it on Broadway, when I did it here. And I think that I do think, oh yeah, I remember I used to, we used to do that that way. And, you know, some things might, have worked better in New York than in a regional house somewhere. 
But you also have to be realistic and realize the budget is a little yes. different yes. in these places. So like people that go and are like ha- expecting the same experience in regional houses, is like, yeah. why are you doing that? Why are you here? I know. You it's know, like we're in a barn. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I try not to be that person who's like, well, when in New York, this is how we did it. And it's like, no, that's what theater is about is creating, you know, and if you are so stuck in one version then then you're i don't consider that really acting i agree and you weren't like that you brought so much joy and then but also when you were asked to give your opinion yeah it was it opened up our minds because i i had no idea that what the super cow backstory was sure it's just like people going la 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 and doing letters right especially when you're being thrown the choreography right so do you to say this is what it's about it all of a sudden gives these cartoons humanity right exactly yeah it helps create the actual world and and a sense of oh this is what we're doing oh okay that yeah 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 so uh motherhood and affecting uh your career something like millie how could you did you take off and like grab your daughter along or ship her off to boarding school (laughs) (laughs) my husband was fantastic he was a really great dad in the sense that he wanted her to have a stable life and we agreed that she would stay home you know in her in in the town where she grew up and what we did was um when Ever. She had like Christmas break, summer break, spring break, all of those. She would come out to me. And then I was really fortunate in both the showboat tour and the Millie tour. They sat down for a while for like at least a month at a time. And so I would often fly home as well. But Alita, my daughter's name is Alita. She got to see all of the United States because she would do so much traveling with me. And I think, you know, in a way, I think it's great for a kid because they grow up seeing that there's more to life than just outside, you know, their hometown. I mean, nowadays with the Internet, you know, it's like people are a lot more culturally diverse um, and aware of what's happening outside of their town. But even when my daughter was younger, you know, there was no Facebook that none of that existed. So it gave her a chance to see. California and Oklahoma and um, where else was St. Louis, like all over the place we went. We went to the Grand Canyon. We went all over. And I loved having her. And in fact, I know several people that have toured like with their whole families. They bring like their kids and their husband and they just... They're on tour. Yeah. I don't know how much that happens anymore, right? Because touring has changed so much. It's all tiered. But yeah, yeah. But um, but it was um, it was great at the time. Alita loved it, yeah. and I'd have um, my my husband and I divorced after a while, and um, uh, so I actually had friends of mine um bring her out. I had my parents fly out with her, my brother, you know, I had lots of people like they say it takes a village and in the theater world, it really does. It really does. It really does because you have to split your time, you know, between, I mean, every mother, every parent does, but in the theater world, because there's no stability, there's no, 
um, guarantee that you're going to be in a job for the next 10, 20 years. Right. You don't know where you're going to be, Mike, in the next year. Um, you really have to have a nice community of people, a good community to help with that and help mm. out. And um, yeah, so, but Alita had a great, like, she would be backstage and Millie, they were great on tour as far as like her, she would stay in the theater and one of the music directors, um, his daughter was out on the tour as well. Oh, great. And so they would sit backstage and do their own version of the, of the show. <laughs> like they'd be, they would be um, Millie and Miss Dorothy. And they would do, they would perform all the time. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So it was fun. They had a good time. One thing I love about theater is, in my opinion, the stage door becomes an equalizer. Everyone walks in and you're backstage and everyone is random theater geeks. And you don't really know um, what people's real lives are. Right. And now there's a lot of different uh, race relations going on. In a show like Showboat, there's... You know what I mean? It's about ethnicity. Yeah. And um, so you were playing uh, a black woman. But mm-hmm. uh, a show like Mary Poppins, Miss Andrew, your requirements are to be talented and be able to hit those notes. Right. So right. Uh, there's so much. How much do you think of your career is like you have to go in and a black woman's playing a black woman or it's by it, this role can go anyway. Right. And one of the reasons I ask is because the race relations in the country is now transitioning into theater. And we just had the whole Prince of Egypt scandal, yeah. where um, there w- it was it was cast inappropriately. Right. So how has that affected you and your career? Because um, and your life. It's funny because um, I think primarily because I was classically trained, I'm actually the opposite of what most people um, of color experience in theater. Not in the sense of being cast, but more being castable. Um, Mm. because I did not grow up, you know, singing gospel and I didn't, um, I don't have that type of singing voice. I'm much more classically, uh, trained. So doing shows like I have always thought if the show is specifically about race, you know, Porgy and Bess, Showboat, uh, you know, Pearly, or if it, if it, Fiddler on the Roof, that right. kind of show, you know, you have to, you have to honor that storytelling. But for instance, in Oklahoma, you know, there were several of us, um, several people of color in the show and minorities, I should say, because um, there were a couple um, Asian uh, kids in the show as well. Um, like, why couldn't there be a person of color in Oklahoma? Even right. though prior to that, it would never be thought of, yeah. you know? And even now, in regional houses, there'll be no people of color in shows like Oklahoma, even though it could yeah. happen. Um, I I think that, yeah, the whole Prince of Egypt thing is so fascinating to me. But when you have a movie coming out, um, what was that movie called? And it was like Russell Crowe and all of these white men playing these Egyptians. Pharaohs, yes. Yeah, yes. the pharaohs. Yeah. You know, you just think, what is it about? Is it about, is it solely about making money? Or is it about, and especially nowadays when you have so much talent mm-hmm. across the board. Like, the, there's no excuse for saying, um, you know, oh, well, we can't find anybody. We couldn't find anybody. It's absurd yeah, to me. That means you didn't look. Exactly. Exactly. 
And, you know, there were a lot of people that gave Hamilton backlash that that one um, call where they said, like, non-Caucasian. Right. looking for non-Caucasian. And I'm not really sure. I can understand that, that a lot of people are like, well, if you're going to complain because we're saying Caucasian only, then you're, we have the right to complain for non-Caucasian. But if there's specific roles in the piece that they're looking for um, a, a look, a specific look, you know, I don't think they were saying we don't want any white people in Hamilton because no. there are white people yeah. in Hamilton. The ensemble. They're, exactly. Yeah. Dancers. There's yeah. lots of yeah. lots of um, diversity in Hamilton. And so that for that particular call, that's what they were looking for. But there was so much backlash. So much. And it was ridiculous because I and I also feel like I can say this as a black woman, as a black female specifically, there is so much work out there for white people there is so much you know and even even in oklahoma you know when they came out with non-traditional casting the thing about non-traditional casting for me that is difficult is i find oftentimes they will choose the track that's going to be non-traditional casting and then that's the track right so for instance in oklahoma (laughs) if i went in for oklahoma and Gertie was available, or Ann Eller was available or something. You know, if you're going to cast black people in the show, why can't you cast black people in the whole show? <laughs> As opposed to Track ensemble. Exactly. Because that's the second cover for Ann Eller. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's what amazes me is that once they decide, okay, non-traditional casting, it always stays in that track. Right. Like, that's the track that will then continue to be the person of color even in mary poppins you know we had people come in replacing other people and they were always like similar um ethnicity if Mm. not the same and that's what amazes me i don't understand why it has to remain just that like it has to call it token casting yeah because it's not yeah you know what i mean because they're not going to change their mind exactly exactly and it kind of drives me crazy oh yeah but on the flip side it also drives me crazy that for me to walk in a room, even in this day and age, in 2016, for me to walk in a room, 99% of the people in that room are going to make an assumption about what I do. Yes. And because I'm a black woman, I should be able to do this, 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 and this. And because I'm a big black woman with a big voice, I should sing Effie from Dreamgirls. <laughs> How come you can't? Why can't you? <laughs> I don't know why. I, like, that's not a question I can answer. You know, it's yeah. like, no, I don't do that actually. But I can sing the hell out of like, you know, 110 in the shade yeah. that role, and I can sing this over here, and I can do a lot of other things for you if you just open your mind yeah. to possibility. And I think that's that's the hard part is that change is hard. Change, change is, is hard. hard for people, and I think it's even harder for producers because. What they look at at the bottom line is their money, right. is the the dollar amount, you know. And so, I would love to believe that in the music theater world or theater world across the board, we are able to think, yeah, I can go in for that show. Why can't I go in for that show? Yeah, and just do it. And the person who is the the best at portraying that character gets the gig, you know? Unless, like I said, it's specifically about race or there's a race issue right? Um, in the storytelling. 
Um, and we haven't gotten there yet. No, we and haven't. It's, it's, it's difficult and it's hard. Especially the arts lead the way for social conscience. Absolutely. Because you know, kids are, someone was telling me about how there's a, a, a black Elsa in the Disney, at the Disney theme park. Oh. And um, the people are like, how are kids going to take that? I think kids aren't going to care if she can sing the song. Exactly. <laughs> that's really what they want. And that's the thing. It's like people get so caught up in race where they forget that children are not born racist or bigots. No. They come out of the womb like I was at breakfast this morning, okay, up here in Peabody and <laughs> at this diner and this little boy, this little white boy, like he was a baby, he was probably like eight months old or something, was being carried by and he reached out and he grabbed my hair and I turned and I looked at him and he gave me the biggest smile. Like, he doesn't know anything from Nothing. Adam. He yes. just sees another human being. Yes. He's not looking at me going, ooh, look at that black lady. You know? Right. I better not touch her hair. You know? Children are not, like, we create that. And so I think it's unfortunate in our business that in this day and age, um, when there is an opportunity to change, when there's so much more acceptance, like in the LGBT community, and um, all of this other stuff happening in the world, I don't understand why people are still so close-minded when it comes to casting at times. I agree. And race. I agree. Um, and, but, you uh, know. Even the casting thing, there was a new thing recently that people are upset about, not just the ethnic thing, saying we don't want women of overweight women for for this role and that went up in arms and I'm sure and so like they're Bert they're doing Bert somewhere I mean Mary Poppins somewhere and it said only Bert's 5'11 and taller so I didn't get upset about that because that's that's the nature of the business but right. it's like now people are like what do you mean you can't have overweight women and it's like well that's just this one show like right. Hamilton is this one show right like there's so many opportunities especially um, if you're a white person there yeah. are a lot so yeah. sometimes I feel like we just need to shut up <laughs> No, we do. I, I will. I will. I mean, I don't ever say it. like I even like don't feel like the whole Prince of Egypt thing. I was like, I shouldn't even have an opinion, so I don't. So that's oh, why I asked you. Of course, you should. No, uh, everybody has should have an opinion because I think that, I mean, yeah, I can have my opinion, but I don't think it's just one sided. I think that's part of the problem is that there's an assumption that oh, well, black people are just going to be up in arms. Well, everybody should be up in arms. Yeah, and it's just like the whole thing with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is not saying that other lives don't matter. Right. It's just that that, if you look at what's happening in the world, that is who is being targeted. And yes. so, yeah, that's why Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It's not because cops don't matter, cops' lives don't matter, or white lives don't matter, or yellow lives don't matter, or whatever you, however you want to categorize us, which I also hate. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody's lives matter. Yes. And so I think that... If we stand together in saying, yeah, Prince of Egypt, that casting of that, that was not okay. Yeah. That is not right in this day and age. Um, everybody has to say something, though. Because I do think that sometimes if it's just coming from one side, then people are like, well, you're just saying that because. Oh, no, that's true. You know true. what I mean? Yeah. Um, as opposed to people coming together as a community, like the Broadway, the equity community coming together and saying, no, no, in this day and age, 
that shouldn't have to happen. Shouldn't I mean and shuffle along there's a just close, so there's a slew of people available for exactly. jobs. Exactly. <laughs> Which is also another sin. Oh uh, just my God. a complete Such sin. A beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, and yeah. So sad. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. One of uh, the downfalls of doing regional theaters is become really, really close to people, and then the show closes and you never see them again. I know. Uh, with this show, we uh, we had Christmas in July, Secret Santa, yeah. and you got out there and. Um, you said that you hadn't done a show in two years and you kind of welled up a little bit and it was so touching. Why have you been away from the stage for so long? Um, after Poppins closed, I was a little burnt out. Mm. I had started teaching part-time um, and thought, you know, I didn't know how ready I was to like go back to square one start auditioning again. I also primarily, um, this was the main reason I had, my daughter was in college at the time and I was, I had a mortgage. I had purchased a, a condo recently and my daughter was in college and I was like, I can't survive on unemployment. Yeah. Like, that's not going to cut it. And so I just start. I started teaching with the intent of continuing to audition and perform and my agents were calling and saying, oh, we have this audition for, you know, this regional house here. And it takes it. You'd have to go down like in November through January. And I had committed myself to teaching part time. Mm. And so I just I couldn't take it either for the for the the contract, the financial reason or because I had made a commitment to uh, teaching. And I was always, I was and interested in teaching. what do you teach? It's not the harpsichord. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that would be fascinating if I taught harpsichord. I teach harpsichord and accordion and <laughs> harmonica. <laughs> no, I teach, um, I actually teach private voice lessons to music theater majors. Okay, um, at Harp. Yeah, at, at the that's, Hart School. Uh, that's yes. <laughs> Yes, and also at uh, Western Connecticut University, State University. So I teach in the music theater department at the universities, and I'm adjunct. And um, so basically, I just, I kind of gave myself some time off. And then the summer came, or the, after that summer where I did Main State, I just, I would go in for auditions, and I'd get called back, but I wouldn't book anything. And it became harder and harder for me to be driving back and forth, you know, from Connecticut yes. to New York to audition. And um, then my agents and I parted ways and it became even harder because then I was like, oh, now I have to go to the EPAs or ECCs. Oh. And that's very difficult, um, especially when I have to go and be up in Connecticut to um, teach. And so um, I just stopped auditioning. Oh. Because I was really kind of torn, but I was also kind of getting disheartened by the whole process. I was getting rejected, and I was really kind of sad about the whole thing. And so I just shifted my focus to teaching. And then over the course of this last year, um, I realized that I need balance in my life, mm -hmm. and I need to teach and perform because just teaching, as rewarding as it is, is also very frustrating when you are telling all of these students what it is they need to do, thinking, yeah, this is what I need to be doing too. 
Why am I not doing this? Yes, makes sense. I miss this. And so um, I had actually gotten another offer this summer to do uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie somewhere else, but they hadn't gotten back to me. And then I saw this in backstage and uh, I just walked into the open call oh. for Kevin. And Kevin was there and I walked in and he was like, oh my God, it's you. Because they had seen me in Main Street. Yes. And he loved you. Yeah. And had wanted me for Theater by the Sea. Oh. And at the time, um, my agents didn't want me getting stuck in the Mary Poppins rut, as they called it. So they suggested that I not take the contract. And it was early on in the audition process. And they were like, well, you'll get something else. You'll get something else. I didn't get anything else. And so I didn't do anything that summer. I was really upset. Um, and so, yeah, Kevin said, oh, my God, we've been looking for you. Uh, and I said, well, I'm here. And I would love to do a show this summer. Oh, I would love to do wonderful. Poppins again. Yeah. And so, yes, in Secret Santa, my Secret Santa was fantastic. She was lovely. And she um, had everyone, or, or I don't know exactly who, but uh, the ensemble and, and principal, she just asked people to contribute, uh, writing down words that, rem like, that I reminded them of, or like, Janelle is... And so I came off stage after Mrs. Corey and walked into my dressing room and all over my mirror were post-its of words, fierce, effervescence, over the top, diva, Julia, all these fantastic words. And then she had a post-it on like a little smart water saying, uh, happy opening, just some words of encouragement for you. Aww. You're so awesome, we love you here. And I was just overwhelmed. And it was, I'm, I'm still, I get like, huh, right now. Um, I just get caught up because this is what you miss mm -hmm. when you're not in the shows. Even though you know there's an end to it. It's the, it's the relationships that you build and that make it so magical. Like the show is magical. The show is the show. Right. But it's the people that you meet. And, you know, sometimes they're friends for just the run of the show. But I have lifelong friends as a result of all the shows I've done. I agree. You know, I'm still in touch with people from sh from the original Showboat. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know? That's great. Yeah. And um, so that's why I was so moved because I realized over the course of this year that there was a part of me that I was I had lost in not being on stage and not performing. And I wasn't sure, you know, there are a lot of us that at some point we get tired of the business or we're just burnt out yes. or we start resenting the business. And I was I realized over the course of this last year that no, this is part of this is what I need in my it feeds my soul and it makes me happy when I am performing when I'm able to do this. Well, so. you're a joy. I hate to wrap this up, but it's half hour. And I know. Our, our oh, stage we gotta manager, go. <laughs> our stage managers are very strict, but right. you are a joy on stage and off. Thank you. Uh, if I could, if you could pick one song to end this podcast with that represented you, what would it be? Who I am? Um, I would say um, You'll Never Walk Alone from Carousel. Yeah. Done. Broadway, movie, uh, certain recording of it? Um, my own experience, believe it or not, doing it here 16 years ago at North Shore. I did Carousel. Wow. And, uh -huh, I was Aunt Nettie, and um, I sang You'll Never Walk Alone. And then I sang it at my grandfather's funeral. 
And so it, yeah, it's kind of become my, the song for me. It's my song that I love um, because it's true. When you walk through the storm, you know, hold your head up high. Yep. And you're you're never alone in this business. You never are. You never are. Well, thank you very much. And you were happy welcome. closing. Thanks, honey. When you walk through a storm, keep your chin up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm is a golden sky and the sweet silver song of